Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now radio check. Now radio check. All under. Half hour is to go. 50,000 watts. Oh, that sound is beautiful. This is Bradley J. All right, I'm, I'm in control. Bradley J. here, Jake Talker. We are live, midnight to five, Sunday nights through Thursday nights. And uh, a little later on, we're going to talk about the burkini that you heard Dan and Nancy talking about. I have a slightly different take on that. Also, Alex Trebek, he may need to fill in soon. Who do you think that should be? Any ideas on that? Put on your thinking cap. And there was a robbery in our area, and the a guy, just a regular old guy, tried to tried to tackle or interfere with the progress of the runaway robber. And I will ask you, would you do that? And I will tell you whether or not I would do that. But first, it's always best to get your life squared away to improve your life. Organizing is great. Organizing your brain is real great. And so we're going to talk to Ivan Meisner, Ph.D., book is Who's in Your Room? Hello, sir. Hello. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for being with us. So can you give me an overview of this before we get into the specifics? Yeah, that's a great place to start is to understand the concept of the room. Uh, Imagine you live your life in one room, and that one room has only one door. And that one door is an enter-only door. So that when people come into your life or into your room, they're there forever. You could never get them out. Now, luckily, this is a metaphor. uh, But if it were true, Bradley, would would you be more selective about the people that you've led into your life? Yes. Yeah. Almost virtually everyone says, yeah, I would have been a lot more selective. Well, you know, I would argue that it's actually, uh, it is true. It's more than a metaphor. Uh, Because uh, think about this for a moment. Think of somebody, because I I talk to people and they say, well, I've gotten this person out of my life. You know, you can get them out of your room. Well, think about somebody who was in your life. Maybe they were uh, toxic. They were difficult. They had lots of drama. But they're out of your life now. But they had all of that. If you're listening to this, I want you to think of someone like that that's out of your life, but they were really toxic. Bradley, do you have somebody? I'm not going to make you name them. I do. Yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. If they're still in your head, they're still in your room. Because every decision you make for the rest of your life will be based in part based on that experience that you had with that individual who was toxic or difficult or whatever. We interviewed uh, Dr. Daniel Amen. You may recognize the name from the PBS specials. And uh, he's a neuroscientist and psychiatrist. And 
He said, you know, when you have a relationship, a, a professional, personal uh, relationship with anyone, their fingerprints are all over your brain because you've, you've had this interaction. And uh, good or bad, it's, it's in your memory. Isn't that kind of a good thing, though? Because I may have learned some lessons from that yeah. that helped me avoid pain in the future. So I sh- isn't that a good thing? In some ways, well, absolutely, there are good elements to it, but there are also a lot of challenges. Like, you know, you let them into your room, and and then getting them out in one way or another is actually very difficult. Uh, you you got to make some tough choices to to actually get them out of your life. Does that include expunging but, all memories of them? And well, yeah, you know, you can't really expunge memories of people. We we use a a, a little. A mental device to uh, to deal with people that maybe were really difficult in your life, uh, and it, it really comes from uh, experience I had with my mother when I was when I was young, and I was just struggling with issues and particular people. And she said to me, "Look, you got to take these situations, put them in a box, get on a ladder, stick it high on a shelf, and and leave it there for the night. Because if you just gnaw on this." for an hour on end, uh, you're not going to have a solution and it's just going to bother you. And so you got to stick it in a box and put it on a shelf. And so that's sort of the, the uh, mental device that we recommend in the book. So if you've got somebody that's in your, in your life or, or even, even if they were in your life and you've gotten them out, those memories you got to put in a box and put on a shelf because you can't let them lead you for the rest of your life. The book is Who's in Your Room? And it's a secret to creating your best life. So you talk about how many, you ask the question, how many will you let in your room? Is, is, should there be a finite amount? Is, is, is numbers an issue? Are numbers an issue? No, and, and you should really consider, I mean, yeah, yes, you could have too many people in your life or in your room. Um, but numbers not the big issue. And, and you've got to visualize the room as a big room. It's an auditorium. And the people that are currently active in your life are, you know, close to you and those that aren't active are further and further away. You know, you could talk about what is the number of people uh, that you can have a relationship with. And we don't talk about this in the book, but um, there's a lot of research, social science research on how many friends you can have at one time. And uh, the, the most commonly recognized number is what's called the Dunbar number. Uh, and uh, Dunbar was a social scientist and found that that on average, and now Facebook has redefined what a friend is, okay? So I'm not talking about a Facebook friend, but a real friend that you can uh, have a tangible relationship with uh, roughly 150 people. 150? Okay. Yeah. That seems like a lot. I might have three. Well, you're talking about close friends. Yeah. That's different. Well, so but, uh, what, you know, what do you define as a friend? People that are on a first-name basis with you, who know what you do, they know where you work, they, you know, you have some kind of relationship with them. That's that, that's a much larger number. How do you define friend? You just started to do it. Can you be a little more exacting so we can figure out if it includes what some would call acquaintances or? Well, yeah, I use the term friend because that's a commonly used uh, term with, say, Facebook. Dunbar didn't use the, ner- the, the term friend, I don't think. I, I believe he used the term uh, uh, acquaintance, um, you know, somebody that you are friendly with, who you are, you know their name, you know who they are, you know what they do. Okay. You have a relationship with them. You, you, you are friendly, if not close friends. Huh. Does that make sense? 
Kind of. I, my definition, I guess, is different. My like a, a friend is somebody I would go on a walk with. Yeah. A friend is somebody I would maybe get a meal with, and there's not there are not many of those. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the anomaly. Would you agree to go a walk for a walk with or have a meal with? Um, there are a lot of business acquaintances that I might do that with. Just to say, say, go on vacation with? No, yeah. it would just be a handful of people. Okay, uh, but well, you know, we don't have to. Setting, yeah, I would go out with people that are acquaintances. Okay, so Dunbar says 150, and we kind of get the, we get the general idea of what you're talking about. So go ahead. So, so now you you understand this concept of the room, and you got to think now how how do I become more selective? You know, as as a child, it was a revolving door. People just kind of came in, they went out. You've got family members who are already in there, but now if you're an adult, you've got to get control of that doggone door. And um, in order to get control of that door, you need what we call uh, a doorman. Now you can call him a bouncer, you can call him a guard, you can call him a door person, call it whatever you want. But this too is a metaphorical uh, construct. It's your conscious and subconscious mind that screens out people that are trying to gain entry into your life, into your door. And this doorman is this, this it's your mind that you're, you're, you know, you're having this conversation with yourself about whether this person's a good fit to have this kind of professional or personal relationship with. Now, how do you train your doorman? I mean, it's, it's cool to have this concept of somebody that you're kind of talking to, you're talking to yourself about whether this person's going to come into your life. But what do you determine? What are the factors? So what we talk about in the book is that you've got, you got to get good with your values. You have to know your values. And when I start talking to people about their values, it's like deer in the headlights, Bradley. If I, if I say to them, give me your top seven personal values, they're like, uh, uh, honesty. Okay, great. Give me six more. Uh, you know, they don't have a clue. And you can't screen the kinds of people that are going to come into your life unless you understand your values. So here's a technique that we use to start with. Start with your deal breakers. Are there any behaviors with people that in your life, in your situation, are there behaviors that are absolute deal breakers? When someone behaves a certain way, you're like, this person's never going to get close to me. I'm not going to allow them. What would those behaviors be for you, Brad? For me, one yeah. would be people who feel that animals are just put on earth for man to do what he and she will with, like, and treats them like dirt. Unkind okay. to animals. Okay. Unkind to animals. Deal breaker. All right, that's that's a you know that's one I haven't heard a lot. Um, that's that's a problem that's too. A, a, uh, yeah, it probably is. You know, when I'm talking to most people, they're most people um, actually react in terms of how somebody behaves to them, uh, not necessarily to someone else. Although I spoke to one person and they said a deal breaker for me is uh, someone who treats a, a service worker badly. You know, like a waitress, right? right. A waiter, right? Said, somebody okay, who fine. just does not leave a tip. Yeah, or just is mean to them yeah. or difficult with them. So um, those are good examples. Uh, both of those are, are good examples. For me, one of my big ones was um, drama. Oh, are, yeah. <laughs> dripping in drama. Now, we all have a little drama. I have a little drama. But you know the kind I'm talking about. That There's always a crisis de jour in their life 
and it's that way all the time. Yeah. Ivan Meisner, PhD, has kind of given us the tools to get rid of vexatious and counterproductive people, and I like that. Picture a room. The people that can come into this room can never leave. you got to be careful about that, who comes in, right? Also, uh, you need to figure out who you like in that room by identifying your values. That's kind of how far we are, right, Ivan? Yeah, that's it. And we were talking about deal breakers. And uh, I'll give you another example of a deal breaker because you can do deal breakers not only for yourself, but you could do deal breakers for uh, you know the relationships you have. Uh, my wife and I, one of the deal breakers that we set up uh, when we go out with other couples is that that other couple has to love and respect each other. Oh. But if they don't treat each other with love and respect, that's not another couple that we're going to allow into our room. We're not going to have a relationship. How many deal breakers do you have personally? Oh, probably uh, three or four. Just three or four. Uh, deal breakers, the drama. Wow, uh, drama, uh, don't love each other. What else? Uh, uh, toxic behavior. I. It just drives me nuts. People who are toxic, that are angry, that are difficult, um, and honesty. Those uh, those are the three personally um, that are issues for me. Now, in terms of values, uh, you know, my values are things like uh, one of the values that I incorporated into my company, BNI, this idea of giver's gain. That you have to be willing to help other people if you want them to help you. Lifelong learning is one of my uh, core values building relationships, positive attitude, accountability. I have to be accountable, and I want people who are willing to be accountable, uh, and recognition. These are just some of my personal core values. Recognition meaning they recognize you, you recognize them both? Yeah. I for think deeds it, well know, done? I, I try to really go out of my way, particularly with people that are close to me, to recognize the, the positive things that they've done. Um, I mean, for example, children. I was just talking to my daughter just literally 30 minutes ago, and I was just telling her how proud I am of some of the things that she's doing right now because she's making some really tough, tough decisions. And I wanted her to know that I really support her for that. So these are the kinds of values that I personally have. But the, the key is that everybody's got different values. And you've got to wrap your head around what those values are. In the book, we have worksheets. Uh, we have some questions that you can use, and we also have some links uh, to a website for, where you can just download PDFs for free to help figure out what your personal values are. Um, because it, you, if you don't have that figured out, then you can't put your doorman to work and nothing else in the book. That's good. I like this organization stuff. One one construct that I have a question about, and I'm, I'm no. not just being, con, uh, you know, cantankerous here. Why do we need the doorman? Why can't we just kick the people out of our room ourselves? Do, is that, is that too much to bear? We need to be, put the blame on the doorman? Well, you know, actually, sometimes you can do that. Uh, Stuart, uh, one of my co-authors, <laughs> he, he told his uh, mother-in-law once, uh, he, he said, you know, she was constantly uh, coming after him about what he ate, what he drank, what he was doing. And, uh, and we have a saying in the book, you know, you, you may be in my life, but your baggage has to stay out. You cannot bring your baggage in. And so he told her, he said, look, if, Doris, if you keep bringing this up i'm i'm you know i'm not going to have these conversations with you anymore so she, next conversation she started leaning into him and he hung up and she called him back she said Stuart, did you hang up on me and she said 
he said, no, Doris, I would never hang up on you, but my doorman did because I told you that I'm not going to tolerate ah, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, you can, you can use the doorman principle, but the whole concept really is conversations with yourself. Your doorman is you. Your room is your mind. Okay. So, so it, 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 you have got, I'd like to, I hope you, you, you think to yourself, I think to myself, I have conversations in my mind. And that's, that's kind of what the doorman is, is you bounce these things off of, off of, uh, it's the doorman who's actually responsible decision. for kicking them out. Here's a question that's important. Can people, you, you've talked about your colleague, Stuart, and he, and the, this person who he had to say to whom he had to say, Hey, I like you, all right, but your baggage can't come in. Is there any way that people are going to change like that? You, you can't just expect I, – I would never expect anyone's going to change enough to remain in the room. You are who you are. I have a relationship with you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just figure – I wouldn't even bother to say that you can't be in my room with your baggage. I, I figure that's who they are forever, and they're never going to leave their baggage at home, and I would just have the doorman kick them out. Well, listen, you, you certainly could do that. You can, you can kick them out of your life. Of course, they're still going to be in your head. And if they're family, you can't, it's hard to even kick them out of your life. Oh, yeah, we'll get to um, that. I'll give you, well, I'll give you another example. Um, and, and this is Rick, my other co-author, uh, and it was with his mother. And his mother was very toxic, very negative, always gossiping about people. And uh, she was getting up there, and she had some health issues, and he was a good son, and he called her every, every Sunday for an hour. And and he just he'd hang up and he just hated those conversations because she was so toxic. Yeah. And so he, they finally said to her, "Mom, I love you, but I I can't I can't deal with this toxic discussions that you have about these people that I know and I love." Um, so here's the deal: if if you start going down that path again, starting starting next week, it was at the end of the conversation, starting next week, if you start going down that path again, I'm going to say to you, Mom, I love you very much. It was good talking to you. I'll talk to you again next Sunday, and I'm going to hang up. So that's the punishment. That's the... Uh, What's well, a boundary? The con yeah, the boundary, the consequence. That's good. That's yeah. I, I like that. And by the way, he did it three weeks in a row, and she never did it again. And she spent the rest of his her life having great conversations with him, uh, every week, he said it was the best years uh, of their life together because he set these boundaries and he lived by. But he did them in a loving way. He didn't do him angry. He didn't. He wasn't threatening. He was loving. He set a boundary and he stuck to it. That's good. Okay, um, I'm, I am also going to be looking for actual hands-on advice on how to how to train your doorman or how you yourself usher someone yeah. to the door. Are there ways to, to how do you just be done with somebody? Do you ghost them and never and just no, disappear? So there's, a or? Things, there's a few things you can do. Um, and you know, you, you said the book is short, and it is. We actually had the book up to forty thousand words at one point, and we thought this is just too much stuff. We want this to be short and actionable. You can read it in about two hours, and there's one action step after another. So there's one. I'll answer it by giving you two different sections of the book. One is how do you say no and not come across as a total jerk. So how do you how do you say no to people that maybe they want you what they want you to do is something that you know that they want but it's a distraction for you or you don't want to do these things one of one of my favorite techniques to say no uh, is simply is simply this you know what Bradley if I said yes to if I said yes to you I'm afraid I'd let you down and I don't I don't like letting people down 
And so um, I can't do that. It's See, a really tactful that way. That seems like a so you get lost in that one. It's pretty good. It's yeah, it's it tough for the really person well. to follow it, it. What? I don't understand. Okay. Yeah. You know what? This so, is you we, know, they're like, okay, well, I don't want you to let you know, so what you know is what can you do? Sometimes people say, What can you do? Well, that's an easy one for me to follow up with because because I'm the founder of an organization called B and I, which is a network. And so then I say, Let me refer you to somebody who I think that is their passion. What we've done is Described the room and talked about how we decide who we let in the room. And in order to do that, you need to know your deal breakers and your values. Then there's the matter of taking people who are already in the room and sorting them out and getting rid of, getting rid of the vexatious ones. And yeah, so with them. we're talking about that. Now you can, we're looking for nice ways to do that, I guess. And, and you. Yeah, so let me give you a couple of uh, okay. techniques. Yep. that we talk about in the book. The first is mastering the art of benign neglect. Now, benign neglect works even when you don't want it to. Uh, we, we all have friends that we maybe we knew in high school or college or friends that we knew years ago when we lived someplace else. And just over time, you've kind of lost touch with them. But <clears throat> they were friends, and you liked them, and you didn't mean to lose touch with them, but you did. And so benign neglect works when you're not trying. Now, imagine doing it with a plan where you uh, basically say, look, this, this is, if I had to choose all over again, I probably wouldn't let this person in my room. Or maybe they changed. And, uh, and people do change. You know, they, they go through a divorce or they have health issues or whatever, and then they just, you know, they, their behavior just changes. And so um, whatever the reason is, I don't like burning bridges, Bradley. I mean, you know, some people have no problem saying, look, I don't like hanging out with you anymore. I'm, we're not going to do that anymore. And I just don't like doing that. So I prefer to use benign neglect, which basically is you you just gradually uh, reduce the amount of contact uh, that you have with someone uh, over time. Uh, and, and, you know, it could be things like uh, uh, maybe dropping out, out of memberships where that person is in or not responding to their phone calls quite as quickly or not re immediately responding to their to their emails emails and texts and you just gr gradually wean them from the relationship all right here's a key question yeah. these days yeah. should you kick people out who uh, are vocal in their political disagreement with you because that, that can be a problem. Do you recommend getting rid of those folks or, or trying to get along? Um, so I, you know, it, it depends on, again, uh, it's related to your personal values and whatnot. But with me and my organization, you know, which I've mentioned a couple times, BNI, um, we do no politics, no religion, no exceptions. No politics, no religion, because it's divisive. And so um, for me, the answer to that question would be, heck yes. I would I'd cut them loose in a heartbeat because uh, politics and religious arguments are divisive in a business setting. And uh, I run a business network, and so I don't want to have that around me. And if I have people that are just caustic in their politics, whether it's conservative or liberal, I don't care, um, they're out. Yeah. They're certainly off my social media. So if one of your values is that you don't want to spend your precious life talking politics and someone insists then you just have to say good, say goodbye yeah now you know in, in in my 
my closest personal friends, I talk politics with them. Um, and we're able to disagree. But in terms of business setting, I just, you know, I have to draw the line. And it's I have to draw the line because of the kind of business that I'm in. Right. And my, uh, business, is, my business can involve talking politics, which is fine. But in my personal life, well, yeah, you, I, I only talk mean, politics when I'm getting paid to talk politics. I don't talk <laughs> politics for free. That's the, well, the, here's the crazy thing. I actually, my bachelor's degree is in political science. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm very interested in politics, but uh, I stay out of it because, because of the nature of the business. Yeah, there's something the happened. The nature of your business, you've got to talk about it. Yeah, but I'm talk when it comes to personal life, even family, there used to be a very wise saying that you don't talk about politics or religion. There was a, an absolute reason for that. Because that was yeah. a cat catastrophically bad thing to do with with family Not, and drag out family dinners. No yeah, question. and all of a sudden, people forgot that rule, and as a result, your room in your mind, the room we're talking about here, the construct gets yes. all of a sudden maybe forty percent of the people are people that you don't want in the room anymore. Not because of what their politics are, but because they can insist on browbeating you with the with politics. Yep. Yeah, so I have a friend that uh, you know he he throws dinner parties and he says, uh, you know, no, 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 talk about politics and religions at, at the dinner party because these these are times to uh, enjoy each other's company and and uh, converse, but uh, that becomes very divisive. And, you know, I don't usually do that at if I'm throwing a party, but um, I, I can understand why people do it. Let me give you another technique that we have in the book to to uh, address the people that you wish you hadn't let into your room. Um, it, and it was an idea from um, uh, Ariel Ford, who is a self-help um, uh, guru. And she said, uh, use, use, the, use homeopathic doses uh, when you're dealing with these people. And a homeopathic dose is the minimum dose necessary to treat something. And so uh, as much as possible, just do the minimum dose. Uh, here, here's an example. If I'm headed into uh, a city where I know there's somebody that I just don't want to spend time with anymore. They were in my room, but, and if they, and if they find out, they see me on Facebook that I was in town, they get all upset. So rather than call them two weeks before and tell them I'm headed into town, I'll drop them an email the night before and say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I just happen to be in town tomorrow. I'm free between one and one thirty. If you'd like to catch, you know, catch a cup of coffee or something. Uh, I'd love to do that. If not, maybe next time. And so you just do that minimum dose necessary so that you're not caught with them for a whole okay. afternoon. Now, if this person is vexatious enough so that you do not want to spend time with them, why go yeah. through this charade? Why not just kick them out of your room? Well, you can. I, I personally, I just don't like burning bridges. I don't like to say to somebody, I don't want you in my life anymore. Uh, Your but, room must uh, be you know, crowded I, with with fringe people. Then, no, I, I'm pretty good at the benign neglect and homeopathic doses. Now, uh, sometimes people will say to me, "You know, I've noticed that we're not connecting as much as we used to." Now, that's an opportunity, Bradley. That's an opportunity to then have a deeper conversation. So, if I say to somebody out of the blue, "I don't want to hang out with you because you're toxic." It just never goes well. Never <laughs> yeah, but is right? it always so and, wrong to burn bridges? If the person is actually toxic, they're always going to be toxic. Yeah, but the problem is that if they're if they're toxic and they're around you and other people that you have a relationship with, then they become toxic with those other people yeah, about you. I, I see. And it just gets messy. Ah, good one. And, and so, 
I just don't like to burn the bridges. So if somebody says to me, you know, I notice we're not spending much time together, that then gives me an opportunity to say, well, look, you know what, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, I'd be happy to, to go deeper here and have a, a conversation. Are you open to my observations as to why uh, I'm becoming uncomfortable spending a lot of time with you? Then, and, and, and my experience is they always say yes, and then that's your opportunity to open the door and say, hey, look, the truth is, you're really angry a lot. And I don't know if you know that. You come across angry. And that's just not what I want in my life. And that's one of the reasons I'm spending less time with you. you uh, you're very you evolved when it comes like, to that kind of thing. I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little too primitive, and I, I need to get evolved <laughs> like you. We have a call from Carol in Malden who has a, an observation or a question. Okay. Hello, Carol, Malden, Massachusetts. Hi. Hi. Um, I hope that this is an appropriate um um, discussion that I wanted to have. It was based on a call. I just turned the radio on. I just happened to hear when you uh, when when you talked about if you didn't want to do something. Well, you know you what? This say, is probably a good time for me to remind, remind everybody who we're talking to and why. We're talking with Ivan Meisner. He's a PhD and has written a book with colleague, at least one colleague, who's in your room. And basically, it's a way for you to organize your mind and decide who really is making your life richer and who is yeah. not and getting rid of it's the people uh, getting distance at least from the people who are not. So is that, is, is that consistent with what you wanted to talk about? Yes, definitely. Okay. So I feel like I've, I, I feel like I'm a pro at that. Um, so I, when, when, when um, your guest made the comment that if you, if you didn't want to do something, you know, rather than say no and, potentially alienate them he would say you know I, I just uh, I don't want to disappoint you or whatever but my response if somebody said that to me I would probably crinkle up my eyebrows and tilt my head and say why didn't you just say you don't want to do it because that would be okay with me so it, it seems well, that's, that's just to an me. easy answer because I've had people say that to me I've had people say that to me and I and and my answer back to them is that's not the reason if 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 I just didn't want to do it I would tell you, and I'd tell you why. But the truth is that I, I don't have the time, I don't have the bandwidth, whatever the reason is, and, and the truth is I don't want to let you down. Now, there are people that I could care less if I let them down. <laughs> and I, I would say, no, that's just not something I do. I have no problem oh, I... saying no. I have a list of about seven or eight ways to say no. One of them is no is a one-word sentence. And if you don't care about the relationship with this person, saying no is fine. But if you do care, and um, and it's not something you just you don't want to do, uh, then you know. Listen, when I was a teenager, when I was 13 years old, my mother gave me this paperweight. It's on my desk to this day. It says, "Diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way." Diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way. She said, son, you're a bull in a china shop. You just knock people over. You've got to learn how to collaborate. It's not about manipulating. It's about collaborating. And you've got to collaborate. So, yes, Carol, there are times when you just say no, and there are times when you don't. I have to, to learn to be more of a collaborator. I have an example of something that really worked well that I wanted to mention in, in sure. relation to this. Um, so... Um, I'm a nurse, and when I worked, I worked uh, with a bunch of wonderful women, and they would frequently want to go out after work, like on a Friday, whatever. I was not into that at all, and so they, when they would ask me, I would say, you know, I adore all of you, and I enjoy every minute that we work together, but 
it's after hours and I need to go home and be with my animals and do Carol stuff. And they were totally okay with that. And then the next day or whenever we'd work again, you know, how was it? And then they would tell me stories about the antics that went on or whatever. And it was never an expectation that I go out because it's just not my thing. I just didn't enjoy that. And I needed I, – I, you give so much at work and you talk and talk and talk. I really just needed downtime. So – and nobody was upset with that. And I feel – I do have one – by the way, that's one a good area, technique, uh, and I and I recommend life. it. And it's a technique that I use uh, with food because people are always trying to get me to eat some processed sugar. And I say, you know, I, I just don't eat processed sugar, but thank you very much. Oh, just one bite. Yeah, you go ahead and have my bite. So it's about setting boundaries and having discernment, and that's exactly what you just described. It's a good example. There's something else you were going to say, Carol, before you signed off? Oh, it's just the the one thing that I haven't figured out yet is. Um, um, I, I got married four years ago, and there was somebody that I really, really loved, but I didn't invite them to my wedding because I felt like it opened up a whole group of people that and I was trying to keep the numbers down because I wasn't even paying for the wedding. And um, I know that it hurt them, and and I've apologized profusely, um, and I just I don't know how to get past that. And we still we still talk, but it's not the same. And um, it does, it hurts my heart because I really care about them. And I, and I should have invited her to the wedding. I absolutely should have. Ooh, I'd be yeah. wrong. Uh, Ivan, she needs, she needs your help in this one. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, I have found that clear, open, honest, and direct communication is the best way to address things. It sounds like you've already addressed that. You said you've told her uh, that you made a mistake. I think the time now is to just let it go. And if this is somebody that you really want to continue to have a relationship with, um, invite that person to other things that you're doing. May, you know, uh, go out with uh, uh, him or her and, and your husband or, you know, just spend some time. Repair the relationship. Uh, I've done stupid things in friendships that, that I've had. And you plead guilty, throw yourself on the sword, um, acknowledge that what you did wasn't right, and then, and then repair it. In, in business, we call it service recovery. You know, you didn't you didn't serve the client effectively. Here, you're not serving the relationship effectively. Now, now it's about recovery, and the best way to get recovery is to spend time with the person. All right, Carol. Right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carol. You know, you. we haven't addressed social media yet. That is a thing that now has to be addressed after this, if you have the time. Thank you very much, sure. Ivan. WBZ. Jay talking. We could talk forever. Talk. Talking we gotta talk. Talk WBZ News Radio 1030. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I know how this sounds, but something told me to turn on the radio. A voice on the radio told you to come here. Radio zombies all night long. You just have to listen. Bradley J's coming on strong. Jay talking. Bradley J. You're up next. It won't be long. WBZ. Can I talk? Talk to you. You gotta talk as well. The hour is gone. News Radio 1030. We gotta call.
BZ, you're Jay talking. Bradley Jay, you're live midnight to five. And as far as I can see, the time is the most important thing. You just can't get any more of it, period. And so wasting it with people that are not only counterproductive, but actually make you feel bad, it's probably a, not a good idea. And what well, maybe you want to take action, but who knows how? How do you decide? And once you decide who's who, how do you actuate what needs to be done? Well, that's why Ivan Meisner's here. Who's in your room? The room in your mind, the room in your life. We're talking about the, how you decide who should remain in this room, how to gently usher those who should not be to the door. And now we get to that monster called social media, and that there's, there's a, a flood of people pounding at your door all the time that you probably yeah. shouldn't let in, and people do. I'm sure you've talked about how to deal with this in terms of social media, so I'll just let you do it. Yeah, so, you know, social media, I, I'm a fan of social media. I'm on social media. <clears throat> I don't beat up social media, uh, but it, it certainly has uh, problems. And y you have to use discernment in social media in the same way that I talk about discernment in the relationships that you have. Um, I uh, I stay away from negative stuff on social media. I, uh, it, it, it's something crazy happens with the, the social media and, and the space time continuum, because you start to do you know you click on one video that takes you to something else that takes you to another page, and all of a sudden an hour goes by, and you're doing you're either just <laughs> looking at stupid stuff or crazy things or getting angry because people are saying these. Things that just really make you mad. You have to limit the amount of time that you have on social media. And I also think you need to limit it based on the kinds of things that you want to put into your head. Um, and here's a, here's a really good reason why. <clears throat> when I, I had cancer about six years ago, I really changed my lifestyle a lot. And one of the things that I stopped doing was looking at negative things on social media and st I stopped watching TV shows that were violent. There were some, I don't want to name them unless you want me to name them, but they, they were just, they were good TV, but it was violent. And I realized this just isn't the kind of stuff I need to put in my head if I'm trying to heal. And, um, and, and, I, and I carried that over to my social media. I, you know, don't watch the cat videos, don't watch the rants from crazy people. And, and I do... Use the one benefit that you can get out of social media for mentorship. Mentors are powerful when we talk about them and who's in your room. And in this day and age, virtual mentors are incredible. Because, you know, when I was a young man, it was <clears throat> just books. I, my virtual mentors were books. But today it could be podcasts, it could, obviously radio shows like this, it could be um, uh, YouTube, it could be videos that are up on Facebook from people that you that you trust and that you believe in and you want to have them mentor right. you. So yeah. yeah, social media can be very positive, but you have to use the same kind of discernment. Okay. You well, YouTube's do. helpful, by the way, because you can kind of choose the stuff you see. It doesn't come at you random, so randomly. I only have 60 seconds, and this is a key question. And that yeah. is, we've talked a lot about the importance of keeping toxic people out of your room, toxic actual human beings that you know you've probably seen once. Do you qualitatively treat online 
persons that you've never met the same? Do you have to be just as vigilant about keeping them out and apply the exact same rules and uh, and treat them exactly the same? Or is there some sort of... Yeah, I think you, okay, you do want to use the same rules. Uh, but, you know, things happen sort of at light speed online. And so, uh, it's, you know, people can get into your room very quickly and you want to try to avoid that if possible. You want to build a, a real relationship uh, if they're going to, in fact, be a friend on social media and not just an acquaintance. So your friends on uh, social so, yeah, media should be the same kind of things. reduced to actual friends. They should not be people that you would not have as an actual friend. That depends on what you're doing. I mean, you know, I'm trying to build a brand, uh, and so I have a lot of people who follow me. I, you know, I've got 110,000 followers. Yeah, I would say that's, that's different. That's like you being that's different. you interacting in a commercial way. And I get that because yeah. I have to do it, too. Well, I really appreciate your time. This is a book that there's no real downside to getting this book, and you might really make a difference in your life. Ivan Meisner, Ph.D., Who's in Your Room? Simple. Read it in two you hours. You it Amazon, Bradley. Amazon, stores, stocking stuffer. Yep. It's almost Christmas. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.